so we've been going through First John, um, and in our study of First John, I keep saying that we are looking at the question, am I really a Christian? It is an important question, especially for our age, um, that misdefines what Christianity is. So we need to keep coming back to this question. So First John chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 7 up until chapter 5 and verse 4. And we're looking at it under the subject, the love that bleeds. The love that bleeds. First John chapter 4 verse um, 7 to, uh, to chapter 5 verse 4. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you for this morning. Even as we think about the song that we just sang, how wonderful it is to contemplate the fact that we have a God who never lets go of his own. Our hearts are truly weak, Lord. Our will is weak. But Lord, we pray that you will continue to hold us up by your grace. Moreover, this morning we thank you for your word. Our Lord in John 17, 17 says, it is the word that sanctifies us because it is the word of truth. Cleanse us and purify us. Make us your own, O God. As we um, hear this morning about the love that bleeds, may our hearts rapture in song. May you be praised and glorified in every way. In the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today, as I said, is from John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 5, verse 4. If you have been here for much of the First John series, you know that we've been focusing on the three tests to help us answer the question, am I really a Christian? I haven't repeated them for, I think, two weeks now. Let me uh, go back to them. These are the, the test, the theological test. The theological test is concerned with the question, do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Then the social test, does your trust in Christ result in a transformed love? The moral test, does your trust in Christ result in a transformed life? One scholar said, First John is like a spiral staircase. You, you keep walking around and around and see the same three things over and over again from a slightly different angle. He bounces back and forth between all three of those tests in, in this book. In this passage, we see all three of them again, though it primarily focuses on the social test. The question is, do we have a transformed love as evidence of our faith in Christ? This passage is very similar to, to part of, the, uh, of, of chapter 2 and part of chapter 3, which we looked at in the past weeks. Consequently, some points in my sermon today will sound similar to those sermons. John himself is repetitive in this book, which means that things that he repeats must be important. Reputation means importance 
And so as we go through it, it makes sense that we, we, we be a little repetitive too, in the same way as John was. So let's get going today by reading the passage. First John chapter 4, verse 7. I read from the ESV chapter 4, verse 7, up until chapter 5, verse 4. I read from the ESV. Let us hear what God has to say to us from this passage. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us um, of his spirit. And, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, uh, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected, by this is love perfected with us so that we, have the, we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is also, he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We, have, we, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he can see, whom he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we love, we have from him: whoever loves God must also love his brother. Chapter five: Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Before we dive into the text that we just read, I have a strange question for you, which will make sense as we get further into the sermon. Here's a strange question. Do you have a product in your life where you have to have the name brand? You have to have the real thing. Where, where the cheap alternative just doesn't get the job done and you need the real deal. I'll give you an example. Earlier this year, my wife and I got into a really life-threatening situation. So we determined 
that we are going to start saving money as much as possible. And one of the ways we were going to do that was by starting to to know where to buy groceries, to, to find the cheapest places to, to buy groceries. Um, and we, we actually found a place that was cheap and affordable. We went to find a store and we found meat that was really cheap. That was a bargain. We were happy, excited. And we bought the meat and went, we went back home. Um, my wife, being a magician in the kitchen, started cooking and made um, a meal for us. So the problem was not my wife, but the meat. Our first meal of that meat turned into a nightmare. We became sick the whole night. I will not go into detail because it might be gross for you um, of, of what it looked like, but we became sick the whole night. We couldn't believe it because we've never been sick like that. Uh, this experience taught us that oftentimes alternatives can be a bad idea. I suspect that we all have that idea, right? Whether it be something that you use for your skin or for your hair, that if you were to use an alternative, you would damage your skin or your hair. We want the real deal. I keep that in mind as we hit our first main point here. To organize the sermon today, I have one big truth about God and two big responses to that truth. I hope you'll follow. One big truth about God and two big, uh, uh, big responses to that truth. First of all, here's the big truth. God is love. God is love. The, the, the big truth about God we, we see clearly here is that God is love. John says it clearly in verses 8 and, and verse 16. God is love. This is huge, right? This is wonderful. But we, we, we must understand this truth oftentimes. If we settle for cheap alternatives, we can, we can actually create a false God, small letter G. We, we, we need to have the right definition here. We need to have the real deal. Let me start by talking about two dangerous cheap alternatives that come from the phrase God is love. First, some people reduce God only to love. For example, some might say, God is love, a divine principle that guides us. So if I'm a good person and love people, then I'm good with God. Because God is just this principle. It doesn't matter if I'm just, if I'm a Shembe or, um, you know, I'm Muslim or I'm an atheist. As long as you love people, you are good with God. You're good to go. Love is all that matters. Isn't that what we hear? Plenty of people believe this in their hearts. It is a love-centered pluralism where the idea of love becomes a God. For them, love supersedes any truth claims of any religion and it also trumps any other characteristics about God. These are people who go out of their way to combine things that should not be combined. They, they make love the center that to them they can take Islam 
and Christianity and say these are one, right? You know the, the Chrislam movement where Christianity and, 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 and Islam are synergized. But if you study Islam and you study Christianity side by side, you will notice the stark differences in these, would you? Wouldn't you? Right? First of all, even with the Quran compared to the Bible, how um, the, the, the Quran is, is, is viewed as a book that was taken from golden uh, plates. But you find that there are some passages in the Quran that are a revelation of Satan. Muhammad said that about, about, about the Quran. Right? That some things were revealed by Satan. But you find in the Bible that Paul says, all scripture is what? Breathed out by God. There are so many differences that these things cannot be reconciled. Is that what John is getting at when he says God is love? Of course not. Right? Of course not. It is a cheap alternative. The, 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 the true God is a personal being with many attributes, not just a solo principle. To, to prove this, look at one of the other hundreds of, of Bible verses that tell, us that, uh, that tell us other things about God. Even here in First John, God is clearly a personal being described as the Father. He is also he also has other characteristics, not just love. First John chapter three verse nine shows us that he is righteous. First John chapter one verse five says he is light. Now think about this. All right. Does that mean if I turn on the light in this room? Or turn off the light in this room? Does that mean God is gone? Does that mean that um, you know, if the sun goes down, the S-U-N, sun goes down, does that mean God is not there anymore? See all those ri ridiculous interpretations? You, you, you can end up uh, with when, when, when taking the, the Bible out of context, right? When you take biblical texts out of their natural habitat, which is the context, you, you, you end up with ridiculous interpretation. And in fact, you end up with misleading doctrines. You, you, you reduce God to one principle. You end up with a monstrosity. A second danger, which often goes with the first, is to twist the definition of love. Right? Uh, we, we, we define love differently from how the Bible defines love. We reduce love to a feeling. What do you think is our culture's main definition of love? I looked up love on dictionary.com and it had 14 definitions for love as a noun and six more as a verb. It, it is a complex word, right? And what, what does it really mean? We, we, we pointed out three weeks ago that the, the functional definition for love in our culture is something, they, they, they define love as something merely physical and emotional. In other words, if somebody makes you feel good physically or emotionally, then go ahead, love them. But if that feeling goes away, by all means, 
move on. Isn't that the way the world views love? So, so, so basically, in other words, love makes us feel good physically and emotionally. Sadly, our culture views love this way all too often. It has cheapened the definition of love. But when we apply this cheap definition to God's love, we have a big problem. Here's the progression of what happens when we fall into these dangers. First of all, we use love as the only characteristic of God. Secondly, we define love as that which makes us feel good. Thirdly, we have created a false God whose main purpose is just to make us feel good. That's why when we read the Bible and we come across passages that are rebuking us, we reject them. Because we have already created a God in our imagination. God of the Bible has created us in his own image. And we in turn, instead of worshipping and honoring him and submitting to him, we create little gods in our own imaginations. We make love the only characteristics for God and define love the way the culture does. Then we are worshipping a false idol. It is not the God of the Bible. It is a cheap alternative. A cheap definition of love creates a cheap alternative of a God. And it can be deadly, right? It can be deadly like eating meat that, 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 that um, was not um, stored properly. The false cheap God tolerates sin. The false cheap God is not holy, not powerful, not a judge at all. It is a God who, when someone is pursuing their sin, unabated, they will say about God, my God understands. If God made me with these feelings, why would he, put, he keep me back from expressing them? You will know. Congratulations, you have created your own God. His job is to make us feel good and, and tolerate any desire we may have. The books come out with titles like Love Wins in which this God does not really, really care about what you do with your life. Because at the end of the day, everyone is going to come into his presence. Whether you were a Christian, you were an atheist, you were a Muslim, you were a Buddhist, you were a Shemba, you were whatever, you will come into his presence. Because at the end of the day, according to Rob Bell, love wins. It's a book that painfully cheapens the love of God and ignores the majority of Scripture. Brothers and sisters, so many people believe in this false God of cheap, feel-good love. God doesn't love you just to make you feel good. Maybe you've bought into this sometimes, at times, thinking that God exists just to make you feel good and your faith really wavers based on your feelings. We must avoid the danger of creating our own God based on, on, on only the phrases in Scripture that makes us feel good. We must avoid and reject that. We, 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 we must uh, um, go for the real deal and not for alternatives. So what does it mean that God is love? 
What is God's love really like? Thankfully, the Bible defines it for us right here in 1 John. Uh, Look closely at verse 9 and 10. This is what it says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God defines the term for us. We, we don't need to go to dictionary.com. We, we, we don't need to watch a romantic movie to understand love. God tells us right here. First of all, true love bleeds. Right? We see that true love bleeds. The, 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 the love of God was shown in the fact that God sent his son into the world so that we can live. Love is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Love is Jesus hanging on the cross, shedding his love to bear your sin. That's the ultimate description of love. True love bleeds. To really understand this love, we must understand other God's attributes. Right? God doesn't ignore sin. He hates and punishes it. He, he is just. He is the judge. He, his, he has wrath and he has the right to punish sinners. God has every right to pour the full might of his wrath on us. That's why we sing every time when we think about this reality of the grace of God that has saved us. That's why every single time we sing, Oh to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. We are constrained to be debtors of grace every day because we don't live by ourselves, by our own strength, by our own abilities, but by the grace of God that was poured down for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There are too many verses in the Bible about the attributes of God. We we, we cannot ignore them. Uh, Do you see how these attributes make his love even deeper? His holiness. He he hates our sin and has the right to punish us. His grace and forgiveness are much more amazing. That's a love that sees your sin, your guilt, your shame, and does something about it. I love how there's a song that says, You saw the depth of my sin. And you still love me the same. See, God is not like some old man who is nearly blind. That you can, um, you know, hide things under the carpet and expect him not to see. He is the all-seeing God, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful, all-present God. He knows he, he knows the, the depth of your heart, the darkness that is in your heart, and he still loves you the same. I think that deserves another hallelujah. Amen. That's grace and mercy. And what a powerful definition of love. When we say God is love, this is what we need to proclaim. 
that God hated your sin so much but loved you enough to send his son to pay the price. All a person needs to do is trust him. Trust him alone for salvation and you will be saved. And this is that this is that beautiful theological test that John keeps talking about. Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God. He is God himself. John affirms it in verse 15 when he says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. In chapter 5 verse 1, it says clearly again, everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. The second um, real deal truth about um, the love of God is that true love is committed. We know God's love is committed to by by, by what it says. In in verse 17 and verse 18, it it, it casts out fear. Look at again those verses. By this love is perfected with us so, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is also he is so also are we in this world because as he is, I'm sorry about that because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love but perfect love cuts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has been perfected in love. Wow. God's love for his children is so committed that there is no room for fear. We, we know this because, because it is anchored in what God did, not in what we do. Right? A, a Christian doesn't need to fear judgment. We, we don't need to fear that God will change his mind about us. Right? I was reading the Quran for my class. I, uh, I had to read the Quran. And... Um, in the Quran, there is a place where Allah has said the verses that he said before, um, because according to Muhammad, it was given, this revelation was given to him for a period of 21, 21 years. And so the, 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 the verses that he has revealed um, like 10 years ago have been changed. This is called in, in, in Islam the doctrine of abrogation. In other words, Allah has abrogated and those verses don't mean anything anymore. They are cancelled out. Right? We, we, we don't find that in the Bible, right? We, we find that God keeps his promises. Whatever he says, he does. Over a period of 1,500 years, the, the, the Bible was revealed in three different continents, in Africa, Europe, and Asia. It was revealed to over 40 different men, and, and, and these men were, all, uh, were writing in different periods of time. But what God has said to these men, when it is put together, it is harmonious. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that what God says, He does. We don't need to fear. Look at these other biblical truths um, that prove how committed God's love is for believers. Here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, it says, We know we abide in him because he has given us his spirit. This reminds us of Ephesians chapter 1, doesn't it? Where God says we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, a guarantee of what is to come. When you think about Romans chapter 8 verse 1, what does it say? There is is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
Because we have been made right with God by faith in Christ, for those who are in Christ, we cannot fear judgment to come. Perfect love does what? Drives out fear. (laughs) Hallelujah. What a joy it is to hear these things. When you read Romans chapter 8, verse 38 to 39, it says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, we are called children of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the real deal. This is what John means when he says God is love. God's love bleeds. God's love is committed. So we spend a lot of time talking about the meaning of that one big truth, right? God is love. Let us look at two clear responses. Two big responses to God's love. First of all, God's love God's love leads us to love God. Right? God's love leads us to love God. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. First John chapter 2 chapter 5 verse 2 says we know we love the children of God when we when we love God and obey his commandments and the next verse for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments right and I'm guessing many of you know the great commandment in scripture in Matthew chapter 22 verse um, verse 38 when, 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 when Jesus says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind we are to love God and what does that look like? Well, what does it look like to, to love God? Again, we, we don't see a cheap feeling of love here. It's not like you must well up with feelings of love. Of course, that does happen. God calls us to love him with the same love that he loved us with. Uh, I've been taught before that there are different words in, the, in Greek for love. Um, agape, phileo. Astorge and Eros. Um, some, some Christians have taken these different words and make different definitions of love. God's love for us and our love for our brothers and sisters and our romantic love for our spouse. But here in 1 John, the only word that is used here is agape. God's love for us is called agape, and our response to him, for him and others is also called agape. God's agape us, and we are to agape God and agape one another. <laughs> There's no lessening or cheapening of love here. We are called to love, to, to love uh, for God that is willing to bleed for God. I've had many, many men, mostly uh, Christian men, who struggle to have emotional experiences with God. Um, And some churches will tell you that you need to have this emotional experience with God in order to love God. That if there is no feeling in your heart, um, then you're not loving God. But that's not love. That's not love. Love for God is shown by obedience to His commands. Right? Love for God is shown just as much as uh, just as much by what you do on Monday, what you do on Thursday, uh, 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 what you do on any day in the week. Does your love for God affect your decisions during um, your day-to-day lives? Right? 
Do you think about your love for God before you make any other decision in your life? Does your love for God lead you to, to, to be a man or a woman of integrity? Does it lead you to share the gospel with people around you during the week? Does it lead you to take care of people in need? You can be dancing here in the aisle, you know. I grew up in a church where dancing was also a big thing. And that's not a problem, right? We, we have different contexts. Um, dancing was a big thing. But you can dance at church on Sunday. But if you're not a person with a transformed life and a transformed love during the week, then your, sun, your Sunday worship is probably fake. Right? It's fake. John's social test here isn't about a feeling or experience. It's about committed obedience. Are you committed to obey God? Not on Sunday when you say amen. Right? The, 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 the original amen in the life of a Christian is knowing what the word of God says and committing to working by it. The best amen to a sermon is to do what you hear the word of God say. Do you love God enough to obey him? Do you have a transformed life based on obedience to God's word? That's how you'll know if you love God. And secondly, the, the second response here, God's love leads us to love one another. Right? We saw the first response, God's love leads us to love God. Secondly, God's love leads us to love one another. The second primary response here is that we are led to love one another because of God's love. This is ultimately the primary thrust of the text here in 1 John chapter 4. The, the, the first uh, verse in our text, verse 7, says, says it quite clearly, Beloved, let us love one another. <laughs> verse 11 repeats it, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The chapter ends by saying, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Obviously, I keep saying that the word brother, when you find it like that, it's a generic term that refers to brothers and sisters. It is referring here to brothers in Christ, to those who are in Christ. Then, then John picks it up in, in chapter 5 again in verse 1. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. I think the point is clear, isn't it? The historian uh, Jerome said that when, 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 when John was too old um, to, to really preach, he, his constant exhortation to the people of God was, love one another. He said it all the time. Imagine it for a second. Just, just think about it. That the Apostle John, known as the disciple whom jo Jesus loved and as an eyewitness of Jesus' life, death and resurrection in his old age after a long life of faithful service to Jesus coming up to you and tenderly saying to you as a church love one another you never forget that will you you'll never forget hearing him say that well that's basically what's going on here the love that we have for one another as fellow believers is absolutely essential. And it is the same agape love with which God has loved us. It's not a lesser love. It is not put up with one another. Right? God is not calling us to put up with one another. 
It's calling us to love one another. I might digress, but let me say this. This is a great apologetic for the world that is truly divided. This is a great witness of the power of the gospel to a world that is at each other's necks. A world that is erupting with uh, uh, divisions across economic lines, across racial lines, uh, 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 across social lines. The world that is divided, when it looks at the church, must see the church that is truly transformed, that they are loving one another. There's no way, there's no way, brothers and sisters, there's no way we can say Christ has truly transformed my life and continue on not loving one another. There's no way. It doesn't happen. It's a lie against Christ. It's a lie against what Christ has done. Feelings come and go. And any love that is based on feelings is scary. That the love that fades with feelings is not love at all. It's scary. If your love for someone is based on feelings, then when feelings are down, the love is gone. There's no foundation. This happens in friendships. It happens in sibling relationships, parent-child relationships. Most notably in our culture, it happens in marriage relationships. Too many people base the love of marriage on a feeling and divorce rates are going through the roof. As soon as the feeling drops, people end it. But a married love that's based on commitment, that's the marriage that will last. You'll know if you really love a person by how you act when you are annoyed with them. When I'm annoyed with my wife, <clears throat> we, we do annoy each other. Sometimes, that, that's when our commitment, my commitment of my love for her really stands out. That's when her commitment of, of loving me really stands out, even though she's bugging me, or more commonly, even though I am bugging her. Our commitment is firm. It is a firm commitment. Though imperfectly we choose to love one another and serve one another, even when we are annoyed and even when feelings are down. It's easy to love when feelings are up, right? The world can do that. But can you love your friend? Can you love your sibling? Can you love your spouse? Can you love your church? And can you love God? Even when the feelings and the emotions aren't there. We, we, we go through life through a spectrum of emotions. Right? We are on a high one day, and on, on another day we are on a low. We must not rely on emotions. First John is telling us that true love goes beyond emotion. True love bleeds, and true love is committed. Right? Let's talk about church for a minute. Certainly the Bible talks about loving our neighbor and loving our enemies in many other places. And we should love them with agape love as well. But since John's primary thrust here is love for other believers, we need to address it specifically. Now I'm going to have um, you come up here. I'm not going to have you come up here 
and sign your church membership with blood. That's not what I mean by, by my sermon title, True Love Bleeds, right? I'm not expecting you to do that. This is not some weird secret society, so don't run away. But are you willing to make sacrifices for other believers? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to commit to the church, serve in the church, and not leave a church when your feelings are down about it? But too many people leave their church because their church doesn't make them feel good. Then they jump to one church that makes them feel good maybe three months or six months and then get uh, things start to get hard and they are gone. And often it ends, um, the, the, the end result is that uh, they, they are not in a church at all. And don't get me wrong. Um, don't misunderstand me, uh, what I'm saying. I'm not saying there are no legitimate reasons to leave a church. Right? Sometimes there are doctrinal reasons. Sometimes there are, there are, there are moral reasons where um, sin is allowed in the church, even in the pastorate, that you have to leave. Sometimes there are doctrinal reasons where they are preaching the gospel that is not truly the gospel at all. There are many reasons. But I'm talking about church hoppers in this middle class Christianity. From one church to another, not because of any of those reasons, but because of their feelings. The church needs believers. Listen to me. The church needs believers that will commit and serve. And let me ask you. You are not at CBC simply because it makes you feel good, right? I hope you are at CBC because you are committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ who glorify God as a grace, as the grace of the gospel grows deep in God's people and goes wide to all people. You're, you're not here because you feel good, are you? I hope you committed to that. I hope you are willing to make sacrifices for that and I hope um, when you see us and not fulfilling that perfectly. I hope you won't run away. I hope you will confront us. Right? That's the kind of love John is talking about here when he says it over and over again, love one another. Here's my someone in one sentence. I usually say it in the beginning, but I'm saying it now. God's bleeding and committed love leads us to the same kind of love for God and his people. Avoid cheap alternatives. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, when our hearts are convicted, remind us that you will hold us fast. Remind us, O oh God, that it is not because you are angry at us, but it is because you love us so much that you have to rebuke us. Remind us, O oh God, that it is because of your love that you tell us these hard things. And may we be marked and characterized by this love as well. May our hearts truly love you, O oh God, because of what you have done for us through Christ. And may we love one another. May that love flows through us as well, for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.